Welcome to this MPS Medicine Wise podcast focusing on the rescheduling of codeine and how it might affect patients and GPs. My name is Jill Thistlethwaite and I am a GP and medical advisor at MPS Medicine Wise. In this podcast, I will be talking to Dr. Simon Holliday about the management of acute and chronic pain. Simon is a rural general practitioner, specialist addiction physician and conjoint lecturer with the School of Medicine and Public Health at the University of Newcastle. Good morning, Simon. Thank you for agreeing to do this podcast today. Some uh, GPs are expecting to see an influx of patients uh, who may have been managing their own pain and can now no longer buy over-the-counter codeine. Um, Do you think that this will be the case? And has anything happened so far in the last two weeks since codeine was upscheduled? Well, I think that there will be a lot of people who are used to just taking um, codeine whenever they like. Uh, but and this will change, what we've seen in the first two weeks is probably about one patient a day coming in to us surgery about codeine. I've spoken to a number of other doctors in my town and out of this town, and most people are finding about the same thing, about a patient a day coming in talking about codeine. And some of these patients might be using small amounts and some might be using large amounts. It's certainly not a massive proportion of our patients, but we do see pain a lot of the time all day. And uh, a lot of the people have been treating their pain with codeine. How may GPs manage those patients who are presenting with pain, especially those who have not consulted about that particular pain previously? I think um, all GPs are managing people with pain. uh, And most patients who have been using over-the-counter codeine probably haven't even mentioned it to their doctor because they've assumed that it's not of any particular significance. And it's been a very casual and very um, relaxed affair. You wander into your chemist and just ask for some strong painkillers and and off you go. And it's legal and legitimate and there's no questions asked particularly. So um, now that they can't access their codeine, they're just wondering what to do because they might well have problems with pain and they might well have troubles with their codeine. So a patient comes in uh, to talk about their pain. Um, Sometimes they will now be upfront about the fact that they've been using codeine over the counter. Uh, But some of them may possibly come in just to say their pain's worse. So how should a GP handle Handle that conversation around the over-the-counter use and explore um, that use. I think it's really important that we've made the change to rescheduling of codeine. Historically, uh, there have been many different ways that opiates have been dealt with in our society, and some of them have caused a great deal of harm. Often what seems to be the simple solution is not necessarily the best solution. And if you've got a pain, taking a painkiller is not necessarily the best solution for that. And so what we know is this is a great chance for us to talk about your pain and how we can effectively manage your pain. And also we can talk about how the fact you've been tending to use opiate painkillers and what are the consequences of that, how that could be causing your pain and how we're going to deal with that as well. Obviously, there'll be different types of presentations and different types of pain that people report. In terms of patients with acute intermittent pain, so for example, migraine or bad period pain, um, patients may still request that you now prescribe um, what they previously were able to get over the counter. How should a GP deal with that request? Okay, I spoke to one of my colleagues uh, in preparation for this interview and he said his 
just giving people panadine for it when they request it after using over-the-counter codeine. I had a chap come in yesterday who's a businessman and he said he he's flying off overseas, he gets a migraine every few days and he wants some panadine for it because he's used to be using over-the-counter codeine. And then I asked him a little bit further and he said, well, actually I get the uh, migraines, I have to use them probably every two or three nights. And so he's talking about a more regular use of codeine than just very rare migraines. So we were able to have a chat about that and he had, he didn't know that, for example, that codeine were addictive and that codeine can be causing headaches and migraines. So we were able to talk about alternative ways of uh, uh, treating this guy's uh, problem and he was quite comfortable not getting a script for codeine. So he um, came in having used the lower dose over the counter codeine, uh, requesting a higher dose. And obviously patients will will vary and will need individual management. Um, but would it be appropriate for a GP to take over the prescribing um, of low dose codeine for people who've previously been buying it? I think stopping people's regular opiates uh, is not necessarily the way to go. In fact, I think making people go into opiate withdrawal could be regarded as unethical and immoral and poor clinical practice. But I do think we shouldn't be providing opiates just on request and without any sort of discussion about how, in fact, opiates could be contributing to the problems. When we first see a patient who's using opiates, we might well provide some very limited number of opiates to uh, allow to buy some time so we can have a discussion about how to manage their uh, situation better, how to manage their suffering, their pain, and how to manage their opiates better because these are not simple conversations. It might be that we have to say, look, you know, you are taking 50, 60 codeine tablets a day and uh, really we suspect that you're having serious troubles with this and we need to look at some sort of uh, opiate substitution therapy program. Or it might be that we looking at opiate conversions and we say, right, you're on the equivalent of 50 milligrams of morphine per day. We're going to rotate you to a lower dose of morphine and uh, try to move off that while we get some excellent pain care up. Or it might be we do give a script for Pandine Fort uh, and uh, ask them to come back. Or another alternative could be that we say, you know, Codeine's not a really good idea. Let's try something else for your migraine or whatever it is uh, for your depression and let's take it, let's catch up next week. So working in, in rural uh, areas, you may well know all, all the patients who come in. Um, but for G GPs who work in areas where they may see patients who haven't been to their practice before um, and these people request codeine. Um, is there any particular way that that should be approached or differences to what you've just mentioned? I think when people are new patients uh, presenting for opiates, we need to have a degree of caution about that because there are people who systematically trawl through medical practitioners in a town to pick up opiates and it's a good business. If you, uh, Some people are organised, they organise an appointment every hour or hour and a half with a different doctor at the, the start of each day and they trawl through with their story and they pick up a lot of scripts. So people can be doctor shopping, very effective stories. If they don't have a good story, they won't be very successful as a doctor sh shopper. And so we're all going to be fooled by some of these, some people like this. And they might have a problem themselves or they must, might just realise this is a very good commercial business to do. So I, I do think we have to be a little bit more concerned when we've got a first 
uh, encounter with somebody and it's our practice has got to sign up to say we don't provide opiates or benzodiazepines on the first appointment and I think this is good policy. Going back to the, the patients with acute intermittent pain who, who are using coding quite intermittently um, and who say, well, you know, I've tried the other approaches with a non-steroidal or paracetamol and they really don't work for this, this problem, which is intermittent. Um, what sort of advice have you got for, for that particular group of patients? I think we need to be very careful about, you, uh, about a casual approach to codeine, uh, just like um, just putting fluid on a fire isn't always a good idea if that fluid is gasoline. Providing opiates for acute pain is not necessarily a good idea. There have been some studies looking at um, short-term provision of opiates, and it could well be that short-term provision of opiates for acute pain can be related to uh, setting up longer-term pain, chronic pain, and also a higher level of pain. And there's even suggestions that um, they can have other sort of neuropsychological effects as well. Uh, when we look in the community, we know that opiate prescription is often associated with all sorts of unwanted problems such as uh, depression, insomnia, uh, falls and fractures and uh, worsening pain. So when we talk to people about the fact that they might be accustomed to treating their acute intermittent pain with opiates, we need to also say that it could well be that you actually generating your next acute intermittent pain from the fact that you're using this short-term measure to fix a complex problem. In terms of um, what's available for acute pain, um, what is your uh, recommendation in terms of um, the use of non-steroidals and paracetamol? So, well, depending on what the acute pain is, it might well be that you, people, if they want to use pharmaceuticals, they might use something like paracetamol high dose, they might use anti-inflammatories and they might put them together. Um, some people might use turmeric, for example, as well. Uh, it might be if they've got migraines, they're going to lo be looking at the triptans. Uh, it might be if they've got mechanical problem that we're going to be looking at more hands-on treatment initially for acute pain. And as the acute pain uh, chronicifies, we might well be looking at more strengthening and stretching uh, programs at home, uh, or just, you know, interactions with exercise physiologists. Coming back to the pharmacological uh, treatment, um, what about uh, topical treatments? Yes, look, I think um, topical treatments have got an important role too. Um, unfortunately, our uh, pharmaceutical benefits scheme is um, skewed towards opiates because you can get a script for an opiate um, and if you're on a pension for six bucks uh, subsidised by the taxpayer. But if you want to use topical lignocaine or lidocaine patches, for example, you have to pay a large amount of money. And uh, these um, topical patches seem to actually have quite an important role. And a number of people get relief even after they've removed the patch and in areas of their body where the patch is not um, placed. So uh, there are topical therapies that can be quite useful. Also, there are topical anti-inflammatories, which some people use as well. And of course, uh, thermal hot packs or cold packs, wheat packs can be useful as well. This, uh, this discussion has just focused on the acute pain. Uh, we, we've mentioned chronic pain in passing, but do you have any advice 
for people with chronic pain who have perhaps been buying over-the-counter codeine to top up their other medication, uh, their prescribed medication, um, who will no longer have that opportunity. So in the last year or so, we've seen quite a lot of research coming out about the effect of tapering opiates on people with severe chronic non-cancer pain. And the good news is that when large numbers of people do taper, reduce or stop their opiates, the pain levels actually seem to be better. It's often quite difficult to convince people to enter these randomized control studies, so the numbers are often small. But it is reassuring uh, that we are seeing positive effects. Uh, there was one large study which looked at tapering and risk mitigation uh, strategies um, and didn't particularly have a goal to taper. But there was a significant amount of tapering and there were no worsening of outcomes in terms of pain and there were improvements in terms of depression. Most cross-sectional work on chronic non-cancer pain and opiates shows that those people using opiates for chronic non-cancer pain have worse outcomes in terms of pain intensity, in terms of function, in terms of depression, uh, not to mention all the other issues that, that we are concerned about in terms of um, diversion or dependency or overdose. You mentioned there about tapering uh, codeine, if, if that's uh, necessary as part of the management plan. Um, some of the other experts in this space have suggested that tapering is not necessarily an effective way of dealing with uh, with this problem. Um, and I just wonder if you if you want to comment on that. Well, given that we know that opiates might well be one of the generators of chronic pain and generators of higher levels of pain and depression and all the pain-related comorbidities, it makes sense to look at tapering. Um, now that we've got studies about tapering, we know that people are no worse and sometimes better. So we know that not only should we not initiate it, but we know that people who are on opiates for chronic pain tend to be doing worse. And we also now know that tapering opiates will give you no worse outcomes, if not better outcomes, plus save some of the very serious risks of um, opiate maintenance, including overdose um, and diversion and use by other people. Tapering, therefore, is beneficial to uh, reduce the, the opiate load on patients and, and doesn't in time affect the level of their pain. Uh, but in terms of the, the management uh, of uh, helping people to taper, um, some experts have said that really it's, it's not a good idea for GPs to prescribe coding if they haven't prescribed coding for a particular patient before um, and that they should be instead treating the symptoms of stopping coding. Um, so I just wondered how you feel about that. We do know that with opiate dependency, we, um, detoxification is not a terribly effective way of treating this. Most people, when they stop smoking or alcohol or opiates, if they've got a dependency problem, usually can stop for a day or a week and then they get right back into it. So withdrawal is probably a bit overrated in my mind. I, 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 I mean, we could do it. If somebody would like to try withdrawal, there's no reason we couldn't try symptomatic management. But using clonidine, for example, does have the potential risks of postural hypotension and people can get rebound hypertension following that. My suggestion would be if you've got somebody who's coming in who's using a lot of codeine and has got a severe pain problem, is rather than 
we need to talk to them about their codeine and how we're going to deal with it. But we also need to offer them excellent pain care. And that's something that we GPs should feel comfortable about. We're not necessarily experts in any particular field, but we do know a little bit about talking to people about how they're thinking, how they're feeling. We do have access to pharmaceuticals. We can talk to them about their nutrition. We can talk to them about their movement, their exercise. We can talk to them about how they're going in their relationships, uh, how they're engaging with their community and their workplace. And all of these things are actually very important part of pain management. So if I can just clarify, in, in terms of the tapering, that's really for patients who've been taking codeine but who don't appear to be dependent um, and who will have benefits from stopping the codeine. Um, is, is there a, a rubric for the best way to taper in that case? So the first issue is uh, patients who don't appear to be dependent is, is um, a bit of a amorphous sort of statement because de- dependency is one of those issues that we all think we know what it is intuitively, like, uh, but probably none of us have the same idea about what dependency is. And in fact, there are many definitions of dependency. We've got the ICD definitions, number 10, we're coming up to number 11. We've got the Americans with their DSM-4 and now 5. And every state and territory has got a different definition of what dependency is in terms of prescribing S8s. And uh, I understand Victoria still has none. So what is dependency? Um, That's a bit of a tricky problem, but we all got an idea of it's related to opiate-related problems. So if people have got more opiate-related problems, we might be moving more towards the sort of the approach of a methadone treatment program. And if they've got less opiate-related problems, we might be more comfortable with either symptomatic uh, treatment of withdrawal or a tapering program. The second question you put there is about tapering. And how fast should we do tapering? Well, there's no evidence about that. So I guess the answer is you can do it slower or you can do it faster. I've got a guy who I've been looking after for 20 years. And when I took him on, he'd been on opiates for probably 30 years before that, a pretty high dose for uh, leptospirosis, meningitis and intractable headaches. So he's on almost none now but it has taken most of those 20 years. And other people say, well, you should do 25% a week. There's no hard science about this. The main thing is you're heading in the right direction. You're bringing in excellent pain care and you're withdrawing something that could be causing iatrogenic harm and could be generating their pain and you're doing something about their opiate-related problems. That's obviously reminding us that this is always, the bedrock is good communication with the patient, uh, entering into a partnership with the patient about what you're doing um, and individualizing care. And all of the things that you've said help us to do that, but we have to look at each patient uh, as an individual and and consider what's best for them and, and what they feel is best for them as well. So thank you very much for your time. That's been fascinating for me and and hopefully to our listeners. Thank you. Thank you very much for your time. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. I've been talking to Dr. Simon Holliday about the rescheduling of codeine and the management of people who present with acute or chronic pain. The views of the host and the guests on this podcast are their own and may not represent MPS Medicine Wise. MPS Medicine Wise is an independent, not-for-profit and evidence-based organization that works to improve the way health technologies, medicines and medical tests are prescribed and used. Visit www.mps.org.au to find out more about codeine and find more reliable information for health professionals 
and consumers.